This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at cyphercast.net and follow us on Twitter at cyphercast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we will be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing one spell. With You Were Always Someone Else, we talk about the movie Videodrome. Join us on the path of suns and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast You Were Always Someone Else, we talk about sources of inspiration from other games and media for our Invisible Sun uh, campaigns. In anticipation of Halloween and part of our now annual tradition, we are back to discussing a horror film of sorts. In this segment, we discuss adapting elements of the movie Videodrome. This is a less conventional horror movie than we've talked about in previous years, but I think there are elements of it that can be very interesting uh, as inspiration for an Invisible Sun campaign. So we thought, given its uh, horror-adjacent tones... Uh, and uh, various elements, this would be a, a great film to discuss. So Videodrome is a 1983 film by David Cronenberg. Cronenberg is known mostly for his body horror films, hence the horror tag on Videodrome. Uh, you may know his uh, more some of his other famous films, including Scanners, mm. the uh, his uh, updating of The Fly, mm. uh, Dead Ringers, uh, among, Dead Ringers. Yeah, among many others. Yeah, uh, there's a currently a remake, I believe, of Rabid um, in the works uh, in production right now. Uh, another of his more famous body horror uh, movies is the The Brood. I haven't seen The Brood. I should watch more David Cronenberg. Yeah, uh, he. It, it's easy to tell when you're watching a Cronenberg film because things don't necessarily make any sense, and there's a visceral sense of unease and, and kind of violation of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that at least for his body horror films, though he has work in other genres, he has more or less straight, uh, dramas and, uh, sort of action dramas. Like uh, I think Eastern promises, exactly. Eastern promises, a history of violence. These are fantastic movies, uh, and they're not body horror movies, but they still have an intensity to them. That is, I think fair to call Cronenbergian. Uh, which reminds me, another reference people may be familiar with um, in the first season of Rick and Morty, when they uh, accidentally release a virus that mutates bodies in horrible uh, ways, they refer to them as Cronenbergians as a reference to this sort of body horror association with the director, David Cronenberg. Uh, incidentally, this maintains our tradition of discussing foreign films. We've talked about an Italian film in Suspiria and a Spanish film in, um, in Kronos. Well, this year it's a Canadian film. Yay. <laughs> um, so we still haven't, haven't gotten into American horror films just yet. No, we got to do, we got to do Japanese next year. Uh, I've got some ideas. Certainly. Like there are so many fun Japanese horror movies. We should do one of those. Absolutely. Uh, this movie stars James Woods as Max Wren. Uh, in this film and in many other Cronenberg films, but particularly this film, uh, some of the names are pretty crazy, as you'll you'll hear. Um, Debbie Harry, as in Blondie, 
the musician, uh, stars as Nikki Brand. And in terms of great names, there is a, a smaller character from an actor I'm not familiar with any other work known in the movie as Dr. Oblivion. Yeah, as that's in, a good name. Like, <laughs> instead of O'Connor or O'Kelly, it's Oblivion. I mean, he's like a radio personality. I kind of looked at his name as a, uh, you know, stage name. Yeah. Oh, and it is in the movie. Uh, it is referred to as a stage name. Okay. Um, but there's also other characters with last last names like Convex. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, there, it's some pretty crazy uh, names in this movie. And it's part of the surreal element of the movie itself. Now I want to look up what Jeff Goldblum's name is in the fly. I, I for I, I think it's the same movie. Like it's the a reference to the original movie. I don't think it's as it doesn't stand out, stand out as much as Oblivion and Convex uh, or other mm-hmm. names that aren't really names we would recognize. So we should be looking at scanners to see uh, since that is an original. Yes, uh, original Cronenberg joint. Cameron yes. Vale, Braden Keller, Dale Daryl Revick. Revick, of course. He he goes by Revick in the movie for the most part. That's yeah. a that's a that, that's a name that stands out, but it's not quite as on the nose as Oblivion and Convex. Yes. Uh, this is, uh, I, there's actually, uh, this seems like a weird digression, but it's, it is a useful conversation and, and topic for any RPG where a, a common problem is names and how names can take you out of the fiction. If you use names that are too obvious, a reference to other characters or other people on the other hand. And I think what this movie demonstrates is strange names can also take you out of reality in a way you want to uh, achieve in a surreal game. So sometimes these names, if it's just right, and you are certainly playing with fire, but on the nose of strange names can accentuate the strange nature of the game itself. So you can make your game a little more surreal by having names that aren't quite right. That are just sort of real name adjacent rather than actual real names. I, that sounds like a, it sounds like a short segment where we talk about some strange names. Like I've got one character named 29 and another one that's just the Tilda character. Right. And, and this game has many of, of that, uh, many characters named with that approach where they're deliberately strange, atypical names in order to emphasize their atypical and surreal nature. So what are we talking about? <laughs> but these names we that inspired this brief digression were from the movie Videodrome. And I, I would like to give a brief overview of the plot. This is not a spoiler-heavy uh, description, in part because it's hard to spoil this movie. The plot isn't really so much what this movie is about. Uh, rather, right. it's more about the feeling and tone of watching the movie. Uh, but I will leave out what I think would be unnecessary spoilers. Most of what I'm talking about will be obvious within the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie. Um, and from that alone, we can get a lot of inspiration from Visible Sun. Are you going to bleep out any spoilers if I drop them? No. So if you are if you want to remain entirely pure, uh, first... Uh, this isn't the movie to watch. If you if you cling to any sort of purity, uh, <laughs> um, but if you want to have no exposure to the movie at all, um, then I would say hold off. Uh, go watch this, uh, uh, and then come back to this episode of Incantations. Incidentally, this movie is available for a low price on Amazon and various other streaming services. It's also currently on Stars streaming. So if you have a Stars 
channel subscription. I was able to get this off DirecTV just on their uh, on-demand Stars channel. So there, there's a variety of ways you might be able to get this right now. I think there's also a Criterion Collection edition if you really oh, want to go all the way to uh, get the full edition with all of the commentary tracks and beautiful transfer and the usual superior Criterion Collection uh, production values. So the spoiler light plot overview. Max Wren, again, James Woods, runs a public access television stage notorious for its edgy programming mostly pornography what it, from what seems to be the case in conversations earlier in the movie. Uh, for those of you who uh, may be a little bit younger than myself, uh, the notion of public access television may be <laughs> strange <laughs> to you. Ah, I had a public access television show. Oh, did you? Oh. Um, we were on the college station. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely of an era. Uh, so these were uh, almost like pirate radio stations. These were pirate television stations, though usually they're chartered, so they're not actually pirate. But they're, they only broadcast over a narrow range. And they tended to be rather loose in their restrictions, in part because they would often just let you have time if you wanted time. And while they were still regulated, they were only loosely regulated. People didn't pay much attention. Though it does strain some credibility to suggest that full-on pornography was going to be broadcast on a public access television station with any regularity. Uh, but that's what the movie uses as, as its premise. So Max Wren has made a career building up this public access television station based upon imported uh, or otherwise sort of, um, you know, uh, 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 you know, otherwise acquired uh, pornography uh, and you know, that's the niche that he has carved out. He says early in the movie that, you know, he's not one of the big dogs in terms of television stations. So the only way he can get viewers is to offer them something they can't get anywhere else. Uh, and that has been his model. But that model is starting to sort of run out. It, the people are becoming more jaded. Uh, presumably he's losing viewers uh, because what he's broadcasting is just the same stuff he's broadcast before. And while he might get uh, movies from a new country or with some new genre or whatever. Uh, it's still not as it, it's losing its edge and his whole model and reputation are built on having this edgy channel of transgressive uh, video that people can surreptitiously uh, tune into on. I want to say it's like channel 86 or something really far up the UHF dial. And again, for those of you a little younger, you might have to figure, you might have to Google a little bit about what, what UHF and VHF were. Well, there, there's a good documentary that came out in the 90s. I think it's called UHF. Right. Uh, yeah, Weird Al yeah, invested a lot in that cover one. all of it. <laughs> uh, actually, that's a really, you know, that gives you a, the, the comedic spirit of public access television. These were, again, low, low quality signals broadcast over a narrow geographic range. Um, and they were characterized by having very high channel numbers. Mm -hmm. While searching for new material, uh, Max Wren is introduced to a satellite broadcast that is captured by one of his technicians of a, of, of a show called Videodrome. And so and he's literally scanning the skies for satellite dishes to see if he can grab weird television shows off from other countries. And this technician finds this one that seems to be airing uh, irregularly. And it seems to be using advanced scrambling technology to resist it being pulled down off of satellite dishes. Uh, and this intrigues our, our, our character, Max Rin. Videodrome seems to involve realistic and possibly real uh, torture and murder. There isn't a plot. 
there aren't changes of location or scene. It is just depictions of torture and murder. But this is the edgy sort of material that Max Wren thinks might be what he needs for his channel. It's not clear whether he is convinced, but whether he's convinced to air it or not, he becomes obsessed with the show and wants to find out more about where the show comes from, what kind of where, it, uh, why it exists, uh, who is behind it, and the like. Now, I, I will like leave the plot description there, which I think was maybe what that describes what maybe the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and cause you know, then the, the plot begins to happen, but those, the rest of the plot is not necessary for our inspirations. So I will, I'll leave those as, uh, uh, uh undescribed because they're, they'd be unnecessary spoilers for our conversation. Uh, though, again, I want to warn you this, this is a rough movie. <laughs> um, it is a, uh, a movie with explicit, uh, nudity. Yes. But the violence in this and the sort of the body horror of it is from the master of body horror Cronenberg. So uh, prepare yourself for that. As there's a reason why we're talking about this around Halloween. Uh, it is, it can be a very rough movie for those who are uh, un- you know, who maybe you've seen Eastern promises and thought that the action scenes were pretty good and the acting was great. This is a very different ball game. <laughs> I, I would describe this movie as gnarly. <laughs> it is one of the more gnarly movies I've ever seen. And I've, I am a, a connoisseur of the gnarly. From this basic framework, though, I think we can draw a number of inspirations for Invisible Sun. And the key uh, piece to translate elements of this movie to Invisible Sun is the notion that instead of videotapes and video transfers, which is the, you know, the, the, the currency of the plot, a videodrome, you can instead use memory spheres. And that opens up all sorts of possibilities. Uh, this is an example of how open Invisible Sun is. I, I would have a hard time adapting Videodrome to 13th Age. Hmm. <laughs> um, and the movie is definitely set in the 1980s. It's set contemporaneous to 1983. Uh, but the ideas in the movie are can be translated into Invisible Sun just by making that switch. That instead of talking about handing off videotapes and satellite broadcasts, we're talking about memory spheres, which are built into the Invisible Sun game. Uh, And suddenly you have a a kind of a vista of opportunities that you can draw from as extreme uh, or as simple as you want to draw from Videodrome. Uh, you could you could be tapping into some sort of strange broadcast of these memory spheres in the Neosphere somehow. Absolutely. So the Neosphere can be the means for this, uh, or even the notion of a satellite broadcast, because in, in the movie, it's a satellite broadcast of a video mm-hmm. signal. But imagine what a satellite broadcast of memory spheres might be. Can you tap into something that is being broadcast from a different sun or from, you know, a, a, from the, you know, from space, whatever that would be? The dark, uh, so the it, void. The, uh, the, absolutely, from the void. So you could be intercepting signals from other locations and downloading them into memory spheres. Or you could be looking for the contents of memory spheres that are somehow uh like reserved, held uh, in the the new sphere itself, or just have an underground economy based upon the trading of memory spheres. Uh, there's there's an above ground economy in the uh, in Saturn in these memory spheres, but imagine that there is an underground 
uh, and I think the movie actually refers to something called the underground for the trading of these uh, uh, videotapes. But imagine an underground trading community for taboo memories. Of course, taboo can mean very different things in uh, in, in Saturnine and in the in Invisible Sun. But whatever is taboo within that setting, uh, memory spheres relevant to that imp- to that topic would would be communicated through this underground community. So uh, you could be have to go to the undersling and literally go underground in mm-hmm. order to find the market for these taboo memory spheres. You then have to sort of, I don't even know, uh, you, there's a lot of different ways you could play this. How do you figure out which memory sphere has the information you want? This could be as simple as needing to find information like the, the name or identity of a particular entity. And uh, for whatever reason, you find out the only way to identify the entity is to find this, to find this memory sphere that's being sold on the black market. And so that could draw you in to the underground memory sphere uh, community to find the right sphere. Of course, the other spheres you have to uh, experience in order to find the right information might be um, a source of a great deal of psychic damage. (laughs) And that would be how do these things affect you physically? Right. So, well... In that case, it wouldn't even necessarily be physically. So you, I, I think it, mm-hmm. it would not be a stretch at all to say that if you got a, a particularly nasty memory sphere because you're fishing <laughs> to find the right information in this sketchy underground memory sphere market, that it would potentially cause damage directly to your... Um, anguish. Ang- it directly cause anguish. Yes. Yeah, you could just say, well, okay, here you you suffer an anguish uh, because of your exposure to this memory sphere. Right, or or even just a few points of injury. Mm-hmm. But if that if it is the last part of injury that takes you over the the track, then it adds to it would add to anguish. Oh, I would just throw uh, anguish at these at my players. Invisible Sun characters are very powerful, so don't go easy on them mm-hmm. because they can take it. Yeah, uh, and if they can't, they've made mistakes. Uh, but yeah, you go directly to anguish. Uh, but one element of the plot that we didn't describe in great detail and, and won't hear is that there's also the suggestion that viewing these videos might have physical effects on people. And you could work that into these corrupted transgressive spheres could even have physical effects on people, whether that is uh, physical injuries um, or uh, that is other types of physical corrupting effects especially if you imagine these are memory spheres that have been downloaded from the dark directly. Uh, You you could have it corrupting the physical form of anyone who uh, views these memory spheres. That that could even be the hook for the entire scenario might be people are showing up with this particular affliction. What is it that unites them? How are they being, is it a disease? Are they being attacked by something? And investigation reveals that no, they're all just partaking of these transgressive memory spheres. And that sends you to the source of the memory spheres. And, you know, you can play the story out from, from there. Uh, but the notion that memory spheres could affect you both psychically and physically uh, is an interesting one for Invisible Sun. Yeah. And I think if you want to do physical, like having it affect you physically, you might want to take a look at the rules for changeries. And see if there's anything in there that would help you determine, like, how how could you actually have this physically impact one of the characters? And how would you turn that into, you know, a lasting, you know, a lasting mechanical impact for them while they're trying to deal with us? 
And you could turn the chart about changeries into a progressive disease of sorts, where the first time you view one of these spheres, you only have a level one changery effect. But as you continue to watch the spheres, and remember, these become addictive. Um, you The effects become larger and larger. So maybe after two, it is a level two. And after four, it is a level three. And after eight, it is a level four. Or however, whatever sort of ramp you want um, for the increasing physical uh, uh you know, perversion of the body that comes with the exposure to these memory spheres from the dark um, would be kind of an interesting way to differentiate. So now you have uh, different people who are exposed to different degrees. They may have some similarities enough to trigger an investigation, um, but they're all, they're not exhibiting exactly the same symptoms because some of them have only watched one episode and others have, you know, binge watched these memory spheres and are on, you know, have level five changery effects. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to kind of hint or, or kind of tip towards the movie uh, without spoiling that there's a lot of other elements in the movie, a lot of the visual elements of the movie that are um, useful for, you know, for, to, uh, to, to till for, to, for surreal inspiration. Uh, but I want to leave that to you because many of them come as a bit of a surprise and are part of the shocking effect of the movie. So I don't want to go into some of the more famous images um, that you are likely to stick with you when you watch the movie beyond just this plot introduction, because I, th I think that is really where a lot of the fun is, is in, in uh, these bizarre images that you'll see in the movie. Uh, but beyond our description of the use of memory spheres as an analog to the pirate videotapes, I reckon the movie, recommend the movie for those who have the stomach for it because of the kind of just the surreal images that are that are uh, brought into uh, the movie itself. That there's where the body horror really takes off from Cronenberg. Any other comments or uh, inspirations from Videodrome? Uh, no, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. And I guess we could just say, we'll talk to you next year about, uh, house or, uh, Tetsuo or something. Ooh. Yeah. This reminded me a lot for those of you who've seen that this parts of Videodrome reminded me a lot of Tetsuo, the Iron Man. I'm going to have to watch that one. I have, well, I actually haven't seen either of those two that I just mentioned. Okay. Well, we'll talk about it over the next year. We'll figure out what is next year, but it's likely Japanese uh, because Japanese horror films have a reputation for being among the most surreal. Um, so I'm sure we'll, we'll, there's a lot we can draw from. Um, I, I'm uh, challenged more by being overwhelmed with options than I am trying to find uh, you know, anything that would, that would work. It's just there's so many to choose from. We should watch House so that one of us accidentally watches the American House and we have a wonderful conversation. <laughs> I have seen both. They are very, other than involving houses, there's very little to link the two. <laughs> yeah. Hello, this is Scott coming to you from the actuality with a quick update. Monty Cook Games has launched a Kickstarter for a reprint of Invisible Sun. If you missed out on the Black Cube or any of the add-ons in the previous Kickstarter campaign, you might want to check it out. Uh, they will also be adding new material, most of which may be available to supporters of the original Kickstarter for free. Uh, but see all the details on the new uh, reprint Kickstarter campaign from Monty Cook Games for Invisible Sun.
This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, it really helps us out. Uh, we also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and ha- help people find us.